here. I want you to turn to your neighbor real quick and say, I have issues. And then turn the other way and say, I have issues. Uh, this next step is very important because there's some of us that don't want to face facts. And so turn again to your neighbors and say, you have issues. So most need that little extra help. Uh, fact of the matter is, we all have issues. We are all broken people. When we gather together as the church, we are not saying, hey, we are perfect. We are saying that we are people in need of being perfected. And we have found the truth of Jesus and that in Him, and we trust in Him for forgiveness of our sin, for the ways that we've gone against God, that we are forgiven past, present, and future. And we begin a life with Him in relationship with God through Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out our days. And so we gather together to learn more about God and His Word. We gather together to encourage one another to worship God and give Him glory because He is worthy. But the fact of the matter is that we have issues. And we're in the midst of this series called Authority Issues, and, and that's one of those areas of life that I think is very easy uh, to see that, yeah, we have authority issues as well. We rebel against authority. It doesn't take us long to stop and think about, okay, well, here's different areas where maybe I rebel against authority. I'm sure it wouldn't take long for us to say, okay, here's a law or two or five or seven that I've broken. Uh, the more we learn about the laws and we see what's on the books, the more we um, uncover that there's more laws that we've actually broken. So, Steve, I'm not a lawbreaker. I don't break the law. Oh, yeah? Who drove this morning? How fast were you going? Well, it's just over five. You're over. I'm not saying you're going to take it for it, but, but by the letter of the law, we're, we're over. When's the last time you were on your cell phone while you're driving? Again, I'm not nitpicking. I'm not saying that I'm better than anyone else because these are things I'm pulling up from my past and my current as well. So we, we all are broken. We've all rebelled against authority in one way or another. We have this heart at times in our life of fight the man, whoever that man is in that position of authority, whatever arena we're talking about. Um, we even get this attitude of, of who are you to tell, tell me my business? And sometimes maybe that's an appropriate response to whoever we're talking to, but if you're talking to an authority in your life, then that's not the appropriate response. We're talking about the families here today, and if your child, if you have children, said to you after you were uh, giving them a job to do, who are you to tell me my business, Dad? Who are you to tell me what to do, Mom? Yeah, that would not go well. That would not go That's a freebie, kid, so do not use that. Learn from my experience. There, there are many arenas in our life where we are uh, under various authorities. Some arenas, we're even in a position of authority, and, and so we have to figure out how those work together. And so that's kind of the question we're asking here in this series, these next four weeks, is um, do we know how to respond, how to act when we are in a position of authority and we're, when we are in a position under authority? Well, what do we do with our rebellious hearts? See, that's really the, the undergree of this, is, is that this wouldn't be a problem except for the fact that we have a rebellious heart. We have a simple heart at times, and so how do we respond to that with these issues of authority? Before we can really unpack that, I think we need to understand the source of authority. Where, where does it come from? And see, ultimately, authority is something that is given or allowed by a greater authority. I mean, think about it for a minute. Authority is something that is given or allowed by a, a greater authority. And so why does a police officer have the authority that he has? Because lawmakers have passed laws that give them the, the authority to uh, enforce the laws that have been passed. Well, why do lawmakers have the right to make those laws? Well, because we voted, the, we elected them as our representatives uh, in the way we've set up our government. They've been given that authority to go and do that job. 
Why do we have the authority to vote? Because of our constitution. I mean, you keep on going back and back, and we see that the authorities that are in place are because a greater authority has either given that or allowed that to happen. You can say, well, Steve, aren't there situations where authority is taken? And even in those moments, there's still a greater authority at play that has allowed that to happen, for better or for worse. Ambassadors from different nations, they have the authority to make decisions, but that power doesn't lie within themselves. It's been granted to them by the country they represent. Again, their authority is given to them by a greater authority. Even in the home, we're going to be talking about uh, a marriage. We're going to talk about parenting as well. And one of the things that I've tried to teach my kids is, you ever had those moments where you tell your kids, again, if you have them, if you don't, um, you know, we're talking to you know, nephews or nieces, you ask them to go do something, and they say, why do I have to listen to you? And you say, well, I'm, I'm your dad. I'm your mom. I'm your aunt. I'm your, you know, just listen to me. Just do it. It's like, well, is that enough authority? Do we have the authority to do this? So we say, well, yeah, we have, but where is that from? We're going to see in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, as we're going to be here this morning. In Ephesians 6, uh, there's a command, children, obey your parents, as in the Lord. And so we see, okay, God, this ultimate authority, has given us as parents authority over children. And so if my children ever kind of question me, hey, Dad, why do I have to listen to you? It's not because Dad told you to go do this chore, whatever it is. It's because God told you to listen to Dad, and Dad's telling you to go do that chore. And so we, we can understand where the ultimate authority comes from. What this also means is that ultimately our authority issues are with this ultimate authority, right? These issues we have with authority are because God has allowed these other authorities in place or has set them up the way he has. And this is going to be a challenging one when we get to the week on talking about our community and our governments and why does God allow certain governments to have authority? You know, Scripture's going to say, we're going to see that it says God's uh, place them in, in those positions, or at least allowed that to happen. And so we look at different dictators and, and some of these just terrible uh, 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 leaders. And why has God allowed that? So there's going to be some challenging questions for us to ask, but the fact of the matter is still that God has allowed that to happen. Because he is sovereign. He has uh, power and control over all. This is, this is a, a simple statement that can also be terrifying when you realize what it means. God can do as he pleases. He can do as he pleases. If, you, if he wanted you to wake up with a third arm today, you would have a third arm. I mean, I don't know, it's, maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's not, I don't know, but God can do as he pleases, whatever he wants, because he is sovereign, he is all-powerful. We looked at this a little bit last week, Romans eleven thirty six 36 says this, for from him, referring to God, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever, Amen. And so as we work through these various arenas of our authority issues, we're going to see uh, different authorities that God has placed in life. In the home, we have husbands and wives, parents and children. In the workplace, we have managers and bosses. Uh, maybe uh, your work is school, and so you have teachers and um, administrators. In our community, we have governments, local, state, and federal. We have those who enforce the law, those who preside over it in judgment. In the church, even, there's authority issues that we have to deal with there's pastors and elders and deacons and apostles and teachers there's all these leaders that the god has placed in different places within the church in any of these arenas that we're going to walk through i want to encourage you to do this first and foremost look to god in his word and so if you're asking the question how do i live under the authority of blank or how do i act in the seat of authority i've been given 
First and foremost, look to God. He is our ultimate authority. He is sovereign. And so we must first go to him and then work from there. So second, we look to the other authorities that are over us. But always remember that God is first and foremost. And then third, we also fulfill the positions of authority that we're in as we submit to God in our daily lives. We looked at that again last week, James 4, 7. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So today let's deal with authority issues in the home. Um, there's two key issues that we're going to be talking about, um, the issues of, of intimacy and obedience. And we're going to see this picture of these struggles I think we have in intimacy in marriage, and we're going to see some of the struggles we have with authority issues of, of obedience in, in parenting. What's interesting, I was kind of sitting back and just kind of looking at my message, I'm like, um, these are, are, are similar things that we struggle with God. I would imagine the majority of us in here can relate in some way to having uh, authority issues or just issues in general with having intimacy with God. I'm not talking about sexual intimacy. I'm talking about a closeness, a oneness, a being known by and knowing. Feeling like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm close with God. Both a physical and a spiritual sense. I think we also struggle with this concept of obedience, obeying our ultimate authority of a God, obeying the Almighty God. And so as we see these different pictures of authority issues being played out in marriage and in parenting, I also want to be thinking about what does this show us, what pictures does this paint for us of how we can take steps forward in our issues with intimacy and obedience when it comes to our relationship with God? Because it's definitely a beautiful picture that's being painted here. And um, this message has been an interesting one for me to prepare Anytime I have a chance to do uh, premarital counseling, it's always, um, it's always a mixed bag because I love being able to have the opportunity and the privilege to sit across from a couple who, who's taken the road to marriage and walk with them about different values and different things that we see taught in Scripture and what that looks like played out in their lives and basically helping them to see God's perspective on the things of marriage. Uh, but time and time again, it never fails. As I'm walking this uh, couple on the verge of saying their I do's, through marriage. It doesn't matter if this was when I had first gotten married, or I think we just hit 12 years, and I know I shouldn't say I think, so I'll just say 12 years. Um, every year along the way, every time I do premarital counseling, it always happens where I'm sitting there and I'm walking this couple through something, and in the back of my head, I'm taking mental notes. I need to go home and apologize for this. I need to go home and talk to Sarah about that. I'm sorry, honey. I love you. Thanks for putting up with me. It just, it's, it's this mirror that just reminds me of these different things, that the, the ways that God is still working in me. And so as here we put together this, this uh, sermon on uh, authority issues in the home and just talking about marriages and, and parenting, again, it just has done that for me. And so um, at no time do I, I want you to ever feel like you're being told, hey, here's what you should go do. This, we're in this together, right? We're, we're in this mess together. And for those of you who say, hey, I'm not married yet, um, you know, this can be a preparation. If you're going to that point, if that's not something that you desire or it just doesn't happen, that's fine too. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but like I said, we can see that marriage is a picture of uh, Christ and the church. And we're also going to see how that can uh, uh, help us to learn about our own obedience and intimacy with God. And same deal if you don't have kids, uh, that may be something that comes down in, in your future. And so maybe this can be preparation for that. Or again, just giving us a good picture about how to live in obedience to God. So I think wherever we are in our, our life, this can uh, uh, speak to our hearts right now. So if you've got your Bibles, you go ahead and open them up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Uh, it will be on the screen, uh, but the, the main chunk of where we're going to be is, is, a, is a big chunk. And so 
it'd be easier if you have it in front of you to kind of rip on and reference different parts because we're not going to be flipping back through the slides. Uh, but the author of Ephesians is uh, Paul, the apostle. And he's been talking about, at this point, in, about, about chapter 4, uh, leading into chapter 5, about unity amongst believers, uh, those who follow God living together in unity in the ways that they, they live out in the community. And he reminds us that in Christ we've been given a new life, that we're accepted as we are. We're forgiven of our sins when we trust in Jesus, but then we're called to change. We're called to go and live a new life uh, and be a light in, in, in a dark world. And so chapter 5, uh, we get to this point where he begins, or he continues in the same train of thought about here's how you go and live in life. He gets to Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He, Paul's remind, reminding his audience, uh, and he's at, this also reminds us here today, that we're to live as imitators of God, to walk in love, uh, to look to Christ as an example for what does our life look like? How should we live? Live as one uh, who's wise, he continues on. Live as one who gives thanks. And he gets this line here in the middle of Ephesians chapter 5, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's verse 21. What I want you to see is this is the groundwork of, of where we're going, okay? Paul isn't like at this point in his letter saying, all right, we've got that covered. Now we need to shift gears. I have a new thought for you. Sometimes that happens. This is not one of those cases. Paul's talking about here's how we live together in, in unity, uh, being redeemed by Christ, changed by him as we follow, pursue him. But we're doing it together as the body of Christ, submitting uh, to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hey, let me talk about some other individual issues and, and how that plays out, but still continuing in the same train of thinking. You'll see why that's important. It takes us to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. And I'm going to ask you this. Um, depending on your familiarity with this passage, this might be a very troubling passage for you. If you haven't heard it, give it time. Then it'll be very troubling for you. Um, all I ask is, is just stick with me on this. Okay? I, I'm going to do my best. I think once we get through this, we'll see that, that there's a beautiful picture of marriage being painted here and, and uh, that, that God has just done an amazing job. And so and orchestrating marriage and how authority structures work within that. But all I ask is just stick with me. For some of you, there may even be some words or some terminology that when you hear what the connotation of that comes to mind for you, uh, first of all, it's very possibly not what, the, what is being taught, and so we're going to address those. But just stick with me. Let's, let's keep pushing forward through this, and then hopefully we'll uh, address any issues or, or questions you would have. Let's read together. You just follow along. I'll read Ephesians 5, 22 through through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the... <laughs> You're getting me in trouble here, brother. <laughs> that was not a plant. That was not a setup. That was a gentleman I'll be having a conversation with afterwards. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Let's go back to verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might, there you go, yeah, yeah, all right, cool, we got this. <laughs> be a long morning, a good one though. Can I just say I love this church? I absolutely love this place and love you guys. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so we see that uh, Paul is unpacking, here's what authority looks like uh, in the home between husband and wife. But he brings it even further. What I'm actually trying to show you is I want to show you this is what it's like between Jesus and the church, but also tells us a little bit about how we should live in, um, as husband and wife. I actually teach on this passage often. I, I don't go into the depth we're going to here this morning, but as a part of a wedding ceremony. And so you may say, Steve, that, that's just crazy. Why, why would you bring up this passage? Uh, and, and that term submit tends to be one of the stumbling blocks where we trip over and so I have a hard time hearing anything else beyond that because some of the connotation of that. It's, uh, but honestly, one of the reasons I enjoy teaching this in a wedding is because I want to redeem a wrong viewing of this passage. So you may be thinking, well, does submit mean that I have to become a doormat or a personal waitress to my husband? Is he supposed to be the king of his castle and I'm supposed to be his maidservant? No, that is not what this is teaching. That is not, you get amens on that, that's fine. And if anyone ever tells you otherwise, they're wrong. And they're taking it out of context because we're going to see here, we've already read it, um, how the husband is called to love the wife. If we just take that one sentence and say, oh, that means I'm in charge, honey, you have to do what I say. Man, we have fallen short. We need to go home, get on our knees, and repent, men. That is, that, if, if that's how we see this passage and how we've been using it in our marriages, that is our next step. We always talk about here at Meadowland, life is a journey, and we want to take, that no one should have to walk it alone. Uh, and we want to help you take that next step on your journey. If you've seen this passage, or maybe you've never seen it before, you just heard it, you're like, awesome, this is supporting what I want to do. I want to be the king of my own castle, have my wife serve me. We need to go home and repent if that's the way that we're thinking. We're to submit to one another, we see in verse 21. And so it's not a one-way street, but then Paul's talking about some ways that authority plays out in the marriage. And the goal of marriage is oneness. Uh, I did this before on a series, uh, message about marriage. I'm not going to bring people up. I want to just recap it because I just think it's such a beautiful picture. Uh, and I'll do this when I teach on Ephesians 5 weddings. I'll have the, the groom and the bride stand face to face. And I'll say, this is a picture of oneness, looking at each other in the eyes. And you're, as much as possible, you're as one up here. And if we play out this passage, the wife is to submit. And so one uh, uh, act of submission or a visual representation of that, you could say, is to bow your head. And so I have the bride bow her head. You can see if we stop there, we've destroyed oneness because they're no longer looking into each other's eyes. That oneness is now gone. But fortunately, there's more to the passage. And Paul says a husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And what did Christ do for the church? But Christ laid down his life. Christ came uh, to, to serve, not to be served. Christ sacrificed himself for his bride. And so as a sign of that, as, as a visual representation of that, I have the groom take a knee. And, and now what does he do? He just naturally looks back up at his bride. And you can see as the bride looks down in submission, as, as the, the groom looks up from bended knee, and a heart of, of service towards his wife, that that oneness is restored. 
And so as we see this and begin to understand this, what a beautiful picture that God has painted here in the marriage. And this is not a debate of value or worth. Hear me on this. If this is not something that you struggle with, I almost guarantee you have friends who struggle with this. Whether they realize it or not, this is not a, a, a debate on value or worth. Different roles, different authorities in any relationship, but even specifically in the marriage, does not equate to different value and to different worth. You say, well, Steve, what about this? Hey, let's go to Jesus. Would we say that Jesus, the Son, is any less valuable than Jesus the, or than God the Father? If God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see in Scripture they're all equally God. It's this concept that is very hard to get our head around. How can one plus one plus one equal one? The Trinity, three and one, the triune God. But God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all God. And yet, the Son submits to the Father. We see this in the garden before Jesus goes to the cross. He says, uh, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Basically, if there's any other way to go about doing this whole salvation thing, let's take that and avoid the cross. But he says, but not my will, but yours be done. He submits his will to the Father. And so different roles, even when there's leadership and authority involved, do not equate to a difference in value. Does not equate to a difference in worth. Husbands and wives, if any one of us has viewed our marriage that way, we've seen ourselves as better than our spouse. Again, our next step is to go home, get on our knees, and repent. And then the next step after that for any of these, anything you know, God said, hey, I need to go repent of, it's going and seek forgiveness from our spouse. See, Paul's making clear that there's an authority structure within marriage as Christ is the head of the church. The husband is the head in the marriage. But again, I think submit and head are some of the challenging words that we, we struggle with. And so I want to unpack that a little bit. Uh, we, we see, first of all, that this term, uh, a submit, a better illustration for you, if you're struggling with this term, why I submit to your husbands, it, is, it really has this picture of um, in battle together, of, of support. And so think of it this way. If we're in battle together, um, and Jesus is the commander, the husband is the ground troops, okay? Right on the front line, see what's going on, making the calls, hey, radioing back, we need this, or here's where it's going, and orchestrating this. And then the wife is the air support. Both equally important, equally valuable, both have their, their roles in that. You know, I don't think you'd meet a troop ever who would say that his air support is not worthwhile, or not important, or not valuable. And the same would go with the ground support towards the troops. But they're in this together. It's this oneness. And so, with the roles, the authority structure as husband, uh, as the head, what are our roles within that? Well, first one is this. Wives, love your husbands by submitting to his leadership. We see that in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This, this understanding of submit also has, we see this, this term helper in Genesis. We go back to when God first set up a uh, man and woman in marriage. They come together, the husband, will, the man will leave his family and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Um, we see that when Adam was created and God said, it's not good for man to be alone, he made Eve who was a helper suitable for him. And even that connotation of helper isn't like, okay, man's the boss and, and woman just does whatever he says. That's not the connotation at all, but it's almost one of, of, of this warrior who comes along in battle with. 
battle with. And so we begin to understand that some of these words, I think they're, hang, they're, they're roadblocks for us. It's really just because it maybe isn't a better word that we have to translate the, the, the heart of what's being said in there. So wives, be unified with your husband as he leads your family. This is a significantly active, participatory, and invaluable role in the marriage. Another way to think about it, if you want to be unified with your husband, is do not be divisive. Do not be divisive, wives. It's not you and your mom versus your husband. It's not you and your friend versus your husband. It's not you and your neighbor. Or it's no one. It's not you versus your husband at all, but you are unified in this marriage. You are to be together in it. I know some of you maybe are sitting, but Steve, you don't know what he's done. You don't know what he said. And if you want to know, I'll tell you afterwards. Uh, you, know, you don't know that. And you're right, I don't. But we're going to get to the husband, so don't worry. They're not off, we're not off the hook either as husbands. So wise, love your husband by submitting to his leadership. It means be unified with him in his leadership. Don't be divisive. Wives, love, love your husbands by respecting them. We see that in verse 33. And let the wife see that she respects her husbands. You know, her husband. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> what is this, church? Teach. <laughs> Speaking to a bunch of husbands and a bunch of wives, you know, it's, it's whatever. So... There's all kinds of different things we look at when we talk about respect, but I want to look specifically at our language. Wives, how do you speak about your husbands? Uh, I was uh, reading up some stuff that uh, Pastor Matt Chandler says about this. He says this way. I just want to quote him directly because I thought it was just a beautiful statement. Encouragement in the mouth of a woman is unbelievably powerful in the heart of a man. Wives, I don't know if you understand the power behind your encouraging words in the life of your husband. I don't know if you understand that. But, but there is such power in your mouth of the encouraging words that you can speak into your husband's life and speak directly to his heart. And so say there's an issue in your marriage and you say, hey, I, I, just, I feel like my husband's not leading in this area of my, my marriage and I've, I've told him about it and it's got to the point where uh, you know, we, we just, every time it comes up, there's conflict. What do I do, Steve? Well, we have a choice. We can be combative in our approach, or we can be invitational. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Nothing pushes a man's heart towards rebellion faster than a feeling of disrespect. Let's say again. Nothing pushes a man's heart towards rebellion faster than a feeling of disrespect. Now, don't get me wrong. The onus is still on the man if he chooses to rebel. That's his choice. That's on no one else but him. But in a marriage, we're in this together. It's like we're, we're in the same canoe in, in rocky waters and someone's got to stand up for whatever reason and do you sit there and try to stabilize the boat or are you going to shake it? Oh, it's your own fault you fell. Well, true, but you shook the, you know, how are we supporting one another? So do we take a combative approach? Well, fine, you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it, forget you. Or a combative approach of, I've told you about this time and 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 time again. I'm going to tell you one more time, honey. Get this done. And even if that moves to a place where what is being sought after is accomplished, is that really the result that you want? Has that brought about oneness in the marriage? Probably not. And so instead, I would encourage you wives to move uh, to a place of invitation. That's one way you can show your husband's love by respect is, is an invitation to lead where you just communicate, honey, here's an area that I would love to follow your lead in. 
Maybe it's in, in how you're raising your kids in, in the ways of God. It's, hey, here's something the church passed out in, in, in Sunday school for the kids, and, and I, I'd love to walk through. I got it all set up. Uh, would you mind leading our family in this devotion we got before dinner? To invite into that. I know it's a small change, but it'd be a powerful one, ladies. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff we could go on this. There's going to be all kinds of stuff on the men, too, but we got limited time, so I got to move ahead. Uh, husbands, fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> we've been given an amazing gift in our wives, an amazing treasure. We are to love our wives as a servant leader. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wife like Jesus loves the church. When you read through the scriptures and you come across an act of love that Jesus has done, you can pause and say, how can I love my wife like that? Here's a situation where Jesus loved some people and didn't expect anything in return. He just loved them because he loved them. How can I love my wife like that? Maybe you've really been wanting a back rub. I could show my wife a little extra love and I'll get my back rub. My back rub, you know? Or do we just love our wives because they're worthy of our love? Because they're deserving of our love? Because they're, they're an amazing gift from God? So let us love like Jesus loved by just simply loving our wives regardless. Another way we can be a leader in the life of our marriage is to be the one to initiate forgiveness no matter how much or how little is your fault. Let me say this one again. Be the one to initiate forgiveness. Be the one to initiate the conversation where you say, I'm sorry I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Yeah, some of you maybe heard that wrong. I wasn't saying be the first one to say, oh, by the way, honey, I know you haven't apologized yet, but I've forgiven you. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying be the one to initiate. You, you know what it's like when there's conflict in the home, even though it's, it's with your spouse, even though it's with the person that you've stood bare before, that you've, you've entrusted your life with. There's still a, a natural response that when we feel like someone has come against us for our defenses to go up. And so when there's conflict in the home, sometimes the defenses can, can go up and there's, we're just not sure what to do next. We're both upset. You're upset about this. And I'm upset because you're upset. And I don't think it, it just continues in this place of conflict. Men, let us lead our families by sacrificing our lives, by serving. And one of the ways we can do that is initiating to say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And that's it. That doesn't get followed up by a, and? Do you, is there anything you want to say, honey? No. That, that's between her and God. God's going to work on her. If there is something, then, then you've set the example. You've, you've led your family spiritually. And we, we trust that God is working in both of us and, and that that would move to a place of, of mutual forgiveness and uh, rest, restoration in the marriage. Let's simply just love our wives because they're our wives. Let's lead the way in initiating. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Apologize and seek forgiveness. Husbands, love your wives through servant leadership. Jesus didn't come and, and say, I, I get the nicest spot at the table. I get the nicest things that we could have. Everyone needs to, to um, you know, treat me as if I'm the most important. He, he came very humbly. We even have a story where he's having the last supper with his disciples before he goes to the cross. And what does he do? He washes their feet. 
That was one of the most humble acts you could do in that day and age because you wore sandals a lot of time and you walked through dirt roads that had camels instead of cars and, and you know, you think cars are dirty, we'll try walking behind a bunch of camels and your feet are filthy and dirty and Jesus gets down on his hands and knees and washes the feet of his disciples. In no way is there, hey, go grab me a beer and make me a sandwich, honey. Those couldn't be further from the truth. So husbands, as we look at this call to be an authority in our marriage, it's a responsibility to love our wives sacrificially as Christ loved his church. Husbands, love your wives through priority. Verse 33 says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. What do you do in an airplane when, when you lose cabin pressure? If it's never happened to you, awesome. It hasn't happened to me either, but they always talk about it. What's the first thing you do? You lose cabin pressure, those little masks fall down. First thing you do is what? You put your mask on yourself. And then you assist anyone else with you, right? Because if you assist someone else and then you don't put your mask on, you pass out and now you can't help anyone else. So You've got, you got to put your own mask on. Husbands, think of your wives as that one that gets the mask put on first. And they're like, oh, no, you've got to put it on yourself. Yeah, I know. That's what marriage is, is the sense of oneness. We should think of our wives as ourselves. If you love yourself, then you love your wife. This is the kind of priority that we need to approach our wives with in marriage. So one common struggle and issue in marriage a lot of times is that of in intimacy. And I'm not specifically speaking of, of sex, but we'll get there. I speak of, of this, this challenge of oneness. How do two people truly become one? Because even after you say your I do's, even after you consummate the marriage and, and just follow God's word, you could go all those ways, that there's still a part where it's still a wife and a husband. There's still two parties in this oneness. And so there's always a, a challenge. What does that look like to live as one? I'm referring to a closeness with your spouse. Husbands, if we're going to take this, this position of authority that God's called us to, the responsibility he's given us as husbands, then let your wives in your head. Let your wives in your heart. And in no way am I trying to be crass, but that will lead to your wife in your bed. I'm serious. And, and, and the intimacy that we desire, you know, men and women, we're, we're different, we're wired different, and, and some, you know, we desire intimacy in different ways, but it's a whole package. As we let our wives in our head, as we let our wives in our heart, this is one that just has been beating me up all week. Because I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm the kind of guy, I can come home and just be like, yeah, I just want to relax, I want to chill. And I understand that you know, there's responsibility at home too. And so, you know, okay, I'll come home. Let me just play with my kids. We'll sit down and have some dinner and talk. But I don't want like the, the, the big media, how was your day talk? Well, actually, you know, this, this you know, thing blew up at work and they had to fix this or this was. But let's just have the, oh, so it's a Tuesday. Let's do Taco Tuesday. You know, I want the light kind of airy conversation, you know? And that's fine. I know we get to that point, but I was sitting thinking about this stuff. I'm just getting lost in my own mind and my own heart. And I'm like, you know what? My wife needs to be here. She needs to hear this stuff. Who's going to tell her? I learned this thing called the purpose tree, where it's looking at, you know, there's some things that only you can do. I'm like, well, you know what? The only person that can tell my wife what I'm thinking is me. The only person who can tell my, heart what's, tell my wife what's on my heart is me. And so men, may not be easy, may not be natural, but let's fight that fight to build intimacy with our wives by letting them in our head and letting them in our hearts. And yes, while that will, like I said, we'll move to then the marriage bed. That's not the purpose why. It's not, hey, I'm going to tell you stuff just so I can get you in bed. Remember, we're 
We love our wives regardless of their response. So at the end of the day, intimacy takes work. I'm out of time. I'm going to fly through some of this. Intimacy takes work. There's some seasons where it comes more naturally, others where it is a challenge where you are both burnt out, your fuses are short, and you're burned up. So continue the fight. Continue the work. Husbands lead through servant leadership. Wives submit as this support of equal value in the marriage. I know some of you are asking, but what if my spouse doesn't believe in God? What if they're not pursuing God? A couple things real quick. First, pursue intimacy with them still. That doesn't negate the marriage vows. Still pursue that intimacy with them. Do not pursue divorce just because they don't believe in God. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But live as a light of Christ, that they would see God through you. We see that in 1 Peter 3. And I know that there's all kinds of different setups of family. Where, you know, that, that there's, there's issues of divorce, issues of abuse, all, all these other things that we're not going to get into today. And I know some of these are not easy to figure out. And so if you got one of those situations, like, Steve, but how does this all fit into my story? Let, let, let's talk. Let's continue this conversation. Turn to someone next to you and, and let's say, hey, can we grab lunch afterwards and, and get into God's Word and see how would, I, uh, how would this look in, in my situation? I acknowledge and I understand that there's a lot of difference in each of our stories. But when we pursue intimacy in our marriage, it creates a secure home for our children. You know, if, if, you have, if you've got kids in your life that you've seen where they, they talk about their parents, or, oh, you know, mom and dad are always kissing in front of me. That's, that's, oh, that's just gross. Every time I hear stories like that, I just kind of chuckle a little bit. I'm like, what an awesome thing for their kids to see. And I say that as someone who wishes I would never, I don't, I don't want to see my parents kissing. No, that's just not cool. The divorce too, which is really weird. Uh, but I, my mom and my stepdad, I, just, I don't want to see, I just, no, I don't want to see them kissing. And yet it shows me where they are in their relationship. It's this little glimpse into, yes, there's a oneness there and a love that's there. And that as a child would give me such security. And so if you want to build a safe, secure home for your children, turn your focus to your spouse first and then to your children. So the husband's in a place of authority in the marriage. The parents are a place of authority in the family. Ephesians 6, 1, this is where we're going to end. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The first two words there, children, obey, implies what? It implies there's rules. Right? It implies there's rules. And some, some of you may say, well, obviously, Steve, we're a parent. We have to give our kids rules. In our culture nowadays, that is becoming less and less common sense. Rules and boundaries are not a bad thing. They actually communicate love. Here's an example. My six-year-old's been riding her, her bike, and my three-year-old's got her tricycle. There are rules and boundaries for that. There's an empty parking lot across uh, from where we live. It's a little community center there. Evie, my six-year-old, she can only cross if I'm outside, and she stops and looks both ways. I don't need to be with her. I don't need to cross with her. As long as I'm out there, and, and you know, she, I don't know if she's going over to ride her bike, and she looks both ways before she crosses, she's free to cross the road and, and then go ride her bike. My three-year-old, on the other hand, I have to go with her. And she knows that, whether she listens or not is another story, but I have to be with her, and we, we go across, and we stop, and we walk across, and then I'll, I'll go back to the driveway and work on something while they're across the street riding. See, some need different rules and different boundaries, and that's okay, because kids are different. But we need to see that this obedience is for their good. Youth, children, students, obey your parents. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. See, there is a direct correlation. If you know ratios of math, I'm going to get a little math on you. There's a direct correlation between the time spent playing in the road 
and the chance at a longer life for my kids. There's a, a direct proportion between those. The more time they spend playing in the road, the less chance of a long life they have. Well, Steve, that's a silly example. It works for all of them. The rules we put in place and boundaries we put in place for our children is for their good because we love them, because we care for them, because we want good things for them. Yes, let's be parents and say yes as often as possible, but yes, let's have those rules. And parents, I'm sorry, children, students, just so you know, parents don't sit up late at night devising plans of how they can ruin your social life. We don't do it. We have Facebook and Pinterest for that. Um, But obedience to your parents' rules will go well with you that you may live long for your good. And then Paul continues out, parents, fathers particularly, he says again, uh, alluding to that headship that's in, in, in the, the marriage, be mindful in raising them up. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This isn't saying that if your kid ever gets angry that fathers and parents have sinned. It's not what it's saying. It's saying we shouldn't be the, the one who provokes them to that. If they're angry because you're enforcing a rule or a boundary, that's not what it's talking about. It's saying don't provoke them to anger. Because the anger, I, I think the reason that Paul's hitting on anger out of everything he'd be saying here, is anger is the most common emotion that leads to a rebellious heart. Think about it. What moves you to a place of rebellion? It's typically anger, isn't it? Also, anger runs over any other emotion and, and it works to harden our hearts. It's like if you're, you're a boxer, you, you, every time you, you, you work the bag, you, you're building up calluses, you're hardening the, the, the skin there. It's every time we get hit with anger, we're, we're hardening our heart. So parents, fathers, let's not humiliate our children through, as a form of discipline. I think it's one way you can see not to provoke them to anger. Look at how God would discipline. God doesn't guilt us. When we sin against God, he doesn't come down and say, hey, you really suck. You are just terrible. I, I don't even know why you know, I bother with you. And we don't see that. What does our God do? He moves us to a place of restoration, of redemption, of, of making things right. It's less discipline and, and teach our children in those ways. It doesn't bring them to anger, but brings them to a place of restoration. We can even look at this for, as adults, to obey our Heavenly Father. Not only is it for His glory, but it's for our good. All right, so I'm going to wrap up. I'm over time here. But let's overcome our authority issues by seeking intimacy and oneness. As husbands, we lead, and as wives, we, we, we submit and love one another. Let's obey our parents, and likewise, let us seek intimacy with God and obey our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We thank you for who you are. I pray for the marriages in this room and the marriages in this church that you would bring about such restoration of any areas that there's struggle, that there would be such a joy in the, in the marriage relationship, Father, that, that our neighbors and our family members would stop us and say, what's different about your marriage? Father, I pray you would help us to work through these authority issues, Father. For some of us, we're, we're husbands who need to step up because you've put us in a a place of leadership. We've been too focused on serving ourselves. We've been too focused on on, um, not leading because it's hard or because it takes work or because we just don't want to. Father, we repent. Convict us, move in us, so that we can be uh, uh, husbands who serve their wives, who lead their families. Father, this some wives out here as well who have been divisive and not unified, who have uh, not been a support to their husband. 
again, Father, I pray you would do a work in each one of us here today. And for those that aren't married, Father God, I pray we'd see this picture of a marriage and understand that it's a reflection of you and the church, Jesus. How you've served us and how you laid down your life for us. We thank you for that. We thank you for the, the grace and the forgiveness that we receive and we trust in you. That you would make a way for us to stand forgiven. Father, I, I close in praying for our children. That as parents, you would work in us and, and equip us, Father, to be able to lead our families well and have a plan for their lives of how we're going to teach them about you. That they would have a soft heart of obedience, not only to us, but more importantly to you, Father God. I'd much rather see my children obeying me because they obey you, because they see Ephesians 6 that calls them to obey their parents. Be our ultimate authority in all things, Father God. Thank you for your role in our lives. Redeem our marriages, redeem our parenting, Father. Thank you that you're active and involved in our lives. In your name, amen.